You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is, This is a Football. Maybe you've heard of a guy, a coach named Vince Lombardi, head coach of the Green Bay Packers from 1959 to 1967, and the Redskins in 1969 was part owner in that team. He would always start training camp every year. He was dealing with guys that had played football since they were little bitty kids, had gone to college, now they're in the pros. But every year at training camp, he would take a football in his hand and would hold it up and look at these men and say this, this is a football. And he would start with the most basic elements of football. And the reason they were so successful, he had an unbelievable career, especially with the Packers, is that he would start with the very basics of football and make sure they had the elementary steps, tackle, passing, the run in the plays. I mean, he was a monster. Um, one of his players said one time, he treats us all equal. He treats us all like dogs, was basically his comment. He was hard on these guys, pushed them, but he was driven to excellence. I think I even have one of his quotes here. He said, the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. And he would push them hard, but he always focused on the fundamentals of football, on the basics of football. And I don't know that I've ever done this, but for the sake of those who may be here for the first time, maybe you're hearing this on the radio or in your car, a CD or a tape, wherever you are, wherever you're catching this, this will be helpful for you here and now, but maybe for other people who come along to kind of get a feel for who we are as a church and where we're coming from and what's important to us and go through some of the fundamentals of the faith in terms of just being a church. Turn to Romans chapter 1 verse 16 if you would with me. Romans 1 16 Paul writing here says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, I got to tell you straight up. If you don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have Jack. And any church that does church without the gospel, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as being central and fundamental, the power is in the gospel. There is no power apart from the gospel. There is no salvation. There is no Christian life. There is nothing apart from his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And as long as I have breath, you will be stuck with the gospel. You will hear it over and over and over. And what God says here is, and says it through Paul, but Paul's saying about himself and about his relationship to God and this truth, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And if all you can get out, I've been on elevators, I've had eight, ten seconds with people before, and all I could get out was, I don't know what you believe, but what's changed my life is that Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, was buried and raised from the dead to purchase a place for me in heaven that he offers as a free gift. It's available to you. You can share the gospel just like that. If you're not ashamed of it, God will use it. It is powerful. It is the only thing that changes lives. So the gospel is central to everything that we do. Go to Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. 
the church has basically been born and Pentecost has happened Peter has preached a great sermon thousands of people become Christians and then listen to how it's described here how this community how this body functioned and they continued steadfastly in the Apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the Apostles now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved this wasn't a commune of any kind it's just that they took care of each other they were a family they prayed together they ate together they were together and there are certain components fellowship worship all these things Bible study and you say well they didn't have a Bible it was being written they had the Old Testament so they could search the scriptures to see what God was up to and what he had done in the past now if you don't know this yet the mission statement of our church is simply this disciples making disciples and I was raised in a system where it was about making babies it wasn't necessarily about making disciples so our purpose our mission is to take you if you're not a Christian and help you get to the place where you know Christ personally and then once you've been born spiritually as Jesus described it to Nicodemus in John 3 once you've been born spiritually to then help you grow up and mature where you can have your own kid and raise that kid so if you say well I'm a Christian well I say well great that's a nice start but that's not where we're supposed to drop this thing or leave this. It is our job as a church to make disciples who can make disciples. And until you are up and running to a place of maturity where you can in turn lead someone to Christ, if that's what God allows you to do, but then come alongside that person and pour your life into that person and help them be a disciple who can make a disciple, that's what we're about. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, and we'll pick it up in verse 16. Jesus has died on the cross, been buried, raised from the dead. He's been seen by hundreds of people over a period of days. And he's about to leave the planet, literally, in his bodily form, ascend into heaven. And in Matthew 28, 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now I was raised with verse 16 being the punch. Go! And that's not the punch of this verse. The punch of the verse is make disciples. The imperative, the command, what Jesus is trying to get them to do is basically as you are going, and the word there for go means to carry over, to lead over, to transfer, to pursue the journey on which one has entered, to continue on one's journey. He says you're moving, you're going, so as you're going, make disciples. And that word means just that, make disciples. Not just make babies, make followers of Christ. Christ make disciples and then he goes on there of all nations so it's not just our job to say well we're going to take care of our little town 
It is the whole planet, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he uses a different word than he did for make disciples here where he says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And the word here for teach means just that, to teach or impart instruction. You're going to have to do it one step at a time. You're going to have to show someone. It takes patience. An average baby, toddler, trying to get up and learn to walk falls 300 times. I thought it'd be more. But you know what? They don't fall forever. You say, well, I'm just a toddler. I'm growing spiritually, and I'm trying to walk, and I'm falling. We'll allow for that. That's fine. But you know what? At some point, if we're doing our job, and you are connected with Christ and walking with God, trying to walk with God, you're going to get up on your feet. It doesn't mean you'll never go down, but it's not this constant up, and then bam, up, bam. You know, you watch a kid just hit his butt or a coffee table, or, you know, just it's terrible because they can get killed if they hit the right place the wrong way. So at some point, it's about growing them up and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So it is our job to find out who Jesus is, what he left, what he taught, what he's poured into our lives, and then to pour that into somebody else's life. Go to 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, how are you going to impart this? Another huge piece of who we are is Bible study. I am not an exegetical preacher. If you come here, we're not going to probably at any point, the way I'm geared personally, go through the book of Job or something. To me, every Sunday is almost a standalone event. We may never see you, have you here again. And every Sunday is that. But throughout the week in homes, as they did in the New Testament, we go through the scriptures verse by verse, and our job is in that way in a group setting to try to get it where we can chew on it together, process it together, discuss it, get it into our lives, not just gargle the scriptures, but swallow it, process it where it makes milk for someone else, but provides nourishment for ourselves as well. 2 Timothy 2.15 says to Timothy, Paul here to Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One of the nightmares of Christianity is what I call jerk-a-verse theology. Just because the Bible says something somewhere doesn't mean it. that's what it means out of context. You have to see what the verse says in its context. And people learn verses, just start throwing them out and saying, well, God said this and that. Sure, he said it, but what was the context? You have to rightly divide the scriptures, and that's going to take some work. Paul tells Timothy, study, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, not a worker who would be ashamed and go, well, I got it wrong. What was I thinking? Yeah, that, what were you thinking? Teachers are held to a higher degree of accountability. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Why is the scripture so important? It says here, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is powerful. Now, it is just ink on a page. So you say, what's powerful? You could rip pages out, start a fire. It's just paper. But when you take the scriptures, the truth of the scriptures, mixed with the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, and you get that in your heart and in your mind, it begins to transform who you are. David, Psalms, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He would meditate on God's word, not just memorize it to get in his head, but to process it into his life and carry that with him when he got in situations where he'd need help. So Bible study, Acts 20, verse 17 through 21. 
Paul is out on his missionary journeys. He's going back before he ends up as he's arrested and ends up dying eventually. But he goes back to these places. He may never see him again probably. And Acts 20 verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we do publicly? We gather in a place like this. It's a public venue. Then it's from house to house. We try to take it out in the neighborhoods. We have people who show up at this particular church from Sherman, from Denton, from Waxahachie, from Mesquite, from all over the place. And it is one of our challenges if we're going to be a church in the heart of this city that is a church really for all people, black, white, Hispanic, rich, poor, to move house to house and train leaders and put them out in those neighborhoods. If we have a bunch of people in Sherman, we're going to have a group of small group in Sherman and try to meet the needs of that community out there where they come from but gather here publicly and Paul says I came to you and taught you publicly and house to house he didn't hold back anything he says that was profitable for them go to 1st Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 1st Corinthians 3 16 and just some verses here that help explain you know where do you worship Let's get into this thing of worship. The place you worship is anywhere. It's everywhere. Now, people say, well, I can worship God out under a tree on a golf course, that whole argument. The problem is, unless you take all of us with you, if you're not connected to a body or fellowshipping and worshiping and studying and involved and connected to that body, sure, we can have church out under a tree, but that's not the point. It's gathering together. It's worshiping anywhere, anytime, but at least not forsaking, as the scripture says, the gathering together as the manner of some is. But look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? You are not going to leave God in some building, in a sanctuary. There are no more sanctuaries on the planet except us. You go into a church and they call their auditorium a sanctuary. I'm telling you, it's not a sanctuary biblically. The only sanctuary is you and me. We are the temple and the Spirit of God dwells in us. If you go to Ephesians 2, 19 and following, Paul writing to this church says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So he's talking about a building and that the foundation the apostles and prophets jesus is the cornerstone and verse 21 in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of god in the spirit there's your church it is a body it is a group of people that make up the church christians if you look in the new bible dictionary under the word worship let's camp on this a minute The vocabulary of worship in the Bible is very extensive, but the essential concept in Scripture is service. And he gives some Hebrew and Greek words. Both originally signified the labor of slaves or hired servants. And in order to offer this worship to God, his servants must prostrate themselves and thus manifest reverential fear and adoring awe and wonder. So somehow worship is tied to serving. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. 
One of the challenges that you have doing church the way we try to do it, it is a little bit everybody. And some people grow up with a certain type of music. You come in and say, well, I don't, you know, I don't like that song. I don't like the way they did that song. I grew up with this. You know what? It's not all about you all the time. And what we end up doing is say, you know what? It is about me. And I'm going to a church where everything they do is like I like it and like I want it to be done. What you've just done in is lop off everybody on the planet who's not like you. And I can't find that in the New Testament. It is about us gathering with all of our diversity, all of our color, all of our culture, ethnicity, educational differences, all of it, and throwing it in a room and having some mix, even musically in our worship, where the songs that we sing, where there are instruments. For instance, if you grew up in black church and you come in here and Patrick cranks up a little B3, something stirs in your soul. And for some of you think that's a vitamin, the white people think it's a vitamin, it's a type of organ. But a B3 has a sound to it. And if you grew up in black church, man, that just, you're like, wow, that's my music. That's my instrument. Or a Hispanic person might hear a timbale. Or a white person might just have silence. And, <laughs> but all of us coming in here together, throw it together. And you sit there and you say, you know what, God? I'm stuck with these people forever, but I don't feel stuck anymore. And that's something they like. But you know what? Because I love them, I bet I could like that. You're doing it in a marriage, and the only way you're surviving there is you love each other. And if you don't, you're out of there because you're not going to put up with the differences very long. So we're even in our worship style. Look what he says in Ephesians 5. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's worship. It's not just here singing songs, though. It's taking it with you in your heart. It's in the car. It's in the morning. It's in good times. It's in bad times. But it's a lifestyle of worship. Worship is not something you do at church. It's something you do as church because you are part of the church and we can worship him collectively, corporately, in spite of all of our differences. But we can take that out there and see if you're worshiping him here together with all kind of people, then when you get outside of here with all kind of people, which is what the world's made up of, then you're more likely to love them and say, hey, you know what? I got a place you'd be welcome. And we got music, not just that I like, but that you're gonna like. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. And this is kind of a compilation sermon, not best hits or greatest hits or anything. It's just we're hitting some of the greatest verses, in my opinion, and things that reflect on who we are. If worship is tied to serving, let me tell you something that I think there's no way not to have this way, but a huge deal to me is servant leadership. Let's read this thing in Matthew 20 again, verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Now I'm going to read you the definition of this word for serve and point out some of the things that it can mean. It can mean to minister to, to be a servant, attendant, domestic, to serve, wait upon, to wait at a table and offer food and drink to the guest, to minister, in other words, supply food and necessities of life. To relieve one's necessities, example, by collecting alms, to provide, take care of, distribute the things necessary to sustain life, to take care of the poor and the sick who administer the office of a deacon in Christian churches, to serve as a deacon, to attend to anything that may serve another's interest, to minister a thing to one, to serve one, or by supplying anything. It's serving. It's doing something for someone else. It's identifying a need and saying, God, as a part of my worship to you. I want to serve people. I want you to live in and through me, and I don't want to be the boss of anything. I am not interested in being in control of anything. He's in control. This is his church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This isn't your church, my church. It is his church, and the elders are in this church to serve you. And to try to lead you because we will give an account one day what we did and why we did it and where we took this body of believers. If you want a position, find a place of service. And if you humble yourself, if God raises you up and gives you a place of prominence or a position that is visible or something, fine. But if your heart is right, it isn't going to be about that. The world is all about lording it over. I want control. Going to run something. We got somebody to run this thing. It is our job in an act of worship to him is to get in a place of serving. And as he said in the definition, as it points out here, it could be gathering things for the poor to feed the hungry, serving someone else's interests, someone's sick, someone's homebound. There are endless ways to worship God by serving him. And a huge piece of what we are is about servant leadership. Let me go back to this whole diversity thing. Go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. In some of our literature, it says a church for Dallas, and the word all is bold. And if you're going to take all people, you know what all means? All. Go to Mark chapter 12, 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Trying to trick Jesus. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. He summed it all up in that. So it's about, before you're even going to be able to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you've got to understand He loves you. And once you accept that love from God, you have love for God. Once you realize that you love God and he can love you, you say, you know what? I got love now. I can give this love away. So now I am loving my neighbor as I love myself. And the only reason I can love myself is that God loves me. So the love I've even got to give, I got from him. And it's the love of God flowing to you and through you to somebody else. People say, well, you've got the gift of evangelism. You're all about the gospel and reaching lost people. Well, you should be too. So anyhow... Evangelism is this telling the story, telling of this good news, taking it out there. And I am passionate about that because God's given me a love for him and for people and they're hurting people out there. Their lives suck. They don't know what to do about it. And we have got this treasure in earthen vessels. It is our job to haul the water to them. Or if they come here, great, but we got to take it out there any way that we have. 
Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. Lombardi gets up and says, this is a football. What I'm saying today is, this is a church. And it's not just a place you gather. It's a people that gather and go out and scatter and come back together and scatter and come back together and that eat together and worship together and fellowship together and pray together and grow together and help each other up when we go down and stick together. And the thing expands and grows and we take more people in and we raise those kids to where they can have their own kids and raise those kids to have their own kids. And long after we're gone, the process is still rolling. But the health of it, the condition of it, will largely depend on what we leave in place. When you apply the biblical basics in the power of the Holy Spirit, the world is reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Father is glorified, and ultimately, that's what the whole thing is about. The ultimate goal of our lives as Christians and as a church is to bring honor and glory to God. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.